0: So if you have a Bible today, would you turn to John chapter eight, John chapter eight. And uh, I want to share some thoughts with you today about our, about our savior who destroys the power of accusation and condemnation in our lives. And I want to say thank you for last week to Derek and Eric, and for their incredible messages that they preached last week, and uh, I'm so grateful. And I wanna say thank you to everyone who served yesterday during I Love My City. We were all over, you guys were everywhere yesterday and uh, making such a difference. And I wanna thank Pastor Ron, I wanna thank my sister, uh, Rebecca, who I think is one of the best leaders on planet Earth. And, uh, oh, there you are. Hey, I love you. Her and Pastor Ron, they're such an awesome duo together there in the office. And get so much done. And I'm, I'm so grateful for what you guys accomplished yesterday. It's, it's an incredible thing to see. John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It said, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as though he did not even hear them. <laughs> I love how Jesus is so calm in these situations. I wanna be the type of person that's emotion doesn't rise to the level of the emotion of the people around me. So the Bible says, verse seven says, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up And said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he again stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Because the older you get, the more sin you accumulate. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of the world of life so father in Jesus name we thank you that your word is here with us now that this light that you represent this light that you are this light that you are shining into our lives by your word would do its work this morning in our lives it would expose in us the things that are not like you so that we could be transformed and changed by the power of your Holy Spirit We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone in the room said amen. Amen. Anybody in the room ever uh, fell into something? Anybody in the room ever fell into something? Like you were just all of a sudden walking and all of a sudden you just found yourself in something. It doesn't have to be like a literal hole that you... Walked into. I'm not talking like you were walking on the street and you fell into, you know, a manhole or something, or like you fell into like the ground and you disappeared, or like the earth, you know, opened up and swallowed you up. I'm talking like you're just kind of walking along in life and you just fall into something something you did, something you caused, something that was opened up to you, something, some opportunity that became available to you. And you found yourself in a mess of your own making. Well, this woman has found herself in a mess of her own making. Um, she has made a very serious mistake. It is now getting ready to suffer the consequences of that mistake. And I think about my own life and how many times that I've failed God, and how many times it would be uh, justified for people to come and grab me and to throw me on the ground in front of God. Has anybody ever done anything like that and I, I, I can get so frustrated sometimes in my doing for God and forget how much that God has done for me and I can become obsessed with my doing that I fail to remember what Jesus has already done not just what he accomplished on the cross but what Jesus accomplished by perfectly keeping the law for me and for you One reason we give up on our efforts to obey is because I think we obsess more over our obedience than his obedience. We focus more on what we're trying to accomplish for God instead of what God has accomplished for us. And here in John chapter 8, this woman who gets thrown before Jesus, wow, she's not done right. She's not been acting right. And we come to find out that the people around her haven't been acting right either. And really the point of this story is that if, if there's going to be a stoning today, Jesus is like, everybody in here is getting stoned. And the only one who's capable of throwing any stones is, is me. And so I, I am thankful for this. I'm thankful for this because when you, when you look at this story, one of the things that people have used this story to do is to excuse bad behavior. Well, see, they they caught her in bad behavior and they threw her before Jesus in her bad behavior and Jesus didn't really address the bad behavior. So remember, Rob, we're, we're not under law, we're under grace. Well, that's not the point of this story. Jesus is not relaxing the law in this situation. Jesus is actually holding the law to its actual standard. Jesus is teaching these men that this whole situation was a setup. This whole situation was done under false pretense. This whole situation was manufactured in order to catch me in something. So I know you're all messed up. It's not just her that deserves to be stoned. You deserve to be stoned. So if anybody in here ain't got any sin in their life, then you can start throwing stones. And that's why everybody walked away, because nobody in the situation was righteous but Jesus. Not one. Nobody. So Jesus didn't come to relax the law. The Bible teaches us Jesus came to fulfill the law. In Matthew chapter five, verse 17, Jesus says, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. To fulfill it. Or to put it another way, we are not saved apart from the law. We are saved by Jesus who perfectly kept the law on our behalf. Philip Ryken put it this way. He said, salvation in Christ does not rest on a law that we inevitably break it rests on a promise that God cannot break. It doesn't rest on promises that I can keep. It rests on a promise that God refuses to break. He will keep his promise. In other words, I am not saved by my ability to live right. I am saved because Jesus lived right when I could not live right. So when I find myself and you find yourself justly accused, of breaking the law, we don't have to hope that the law gets ignored. That's not my hope. My hope is when I, it's not when I get to heaven That when I get to heaven that God's going to look at me and say, you know what, I I know all the bad stuff you did, but I'm so merciful, you know, I'm just so kind. I'm just going to overlook all of that stuff. Come on in. It's no big deal to me anymore. That's not my hope. My hope is not that Jesus ignores the law. My hope is not that God overlooks the law. My hope is not that God relaxes the law. My hope is in that Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf. There's a story in Daniel chapter 6 that's really powerful. Daniel uh, is commanded by the king, and and many others in the kingdom, not to worship God. And anybody who worships God is going to be executed by being thrown into a lion's den. And this decree is written into law. And so when the king finds out that Daniel has broken this law, the king cannot relax the law just because he loves Daniel. Daniel's his friend. He cannot ignore the law because Daniel's his friend. He cannot overlook what Daniel had done had di- had had done so he has to follow the law so even though he loves daniel and daniel is his friend he still throws daniel into the lions den cuz the law cannot be overlooked the law cannot be ignored the law must be followed but what happens is when the king comes back the next morning to see if daniel survived the king leans in, and he's like, hey, Daniel, are you there? And Daniel speaks up, and Daniel says something so powerful, such a New Testament, New Covenant revelation. Daniel says, my God, he says, king, don't worry about him. he said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him, and also, king, I have done nothing wrong before you. This sounds a whole lot like justification. Did Daniel break the law? Yes, Daniel broke the law. But God declared him to be innocent in his eyes and before the king's eyes. So what did God do? He shut the mouth of the lions. It's the same thing that God does for this woman when he rebukes her accusers. He shuts the mouth of the lions. He is good at shutting the mouth of the devourer for his kids. This is how he he works. (laughs) And he said, so Daniel, the Bible says, verse 23, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Wow. So I don't have to hope the law gets changed. I don't have to hope that the law gets circumvented. I know that the law has been placed on the shoulders of another and that he was thrown to the lions for my sake. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, the cross is the lightning rod of God's grace that short circuits God's wrath to Christ so that only the light of his love remains for believers. Galatians 2 and 21 is very powerful. It says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for if keeping the law could make us right with God. Then there was no need for Christ to die. Galatians 3 and 11 says, so it's clear now that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law, for the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. I wanna encourage you in something, I wanna scare you with something. God does not grade on a curve. You know, you, you The Bible teaches that if you fail in one point of the law, you fail in the whole thing. You're guilty of the whole thing. God does not grade on a curve. My hope is not that I get to heaven and I'm like, God, eight out of ten ain't bad, right? My hope is that I get to heaven and God says, come on in. You accepted my son who got ten out of ten. He was a ten out of a ten. Perfect record. That's my hope. And salvation, listen, it doesn't come with an invoice. It's not a loan you pay back. It's a gift you receive. That's why it's so different. That's why you have an old covenant and you have a new covenant. The new has replaced the old. In Matthew 17, something very powerful happens. Jesus is going to this mountain and he's getting ready to be transfigured. And while he's up on this mountain, Peter... Um, he gets real excited about what's going on. Peter says, hey, Jesus, it's awesome that we're here. I think what we need to do is I need to build a tent for you. I need to build a tent for Elijah, who represented the prophets. And I need to build a tent for Moses, who represents the law. And, And the Bible says that at that same moment that Peter is opening up his mouth and sticking his foot in it one more time, the Bible says that God says from heaven, this is my son, Hear him. Jesus is the culmination of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of a new covenant. You are not under the old covenant, which is a a righteousness that comes through obeying the commands. You are under a new covenant, which is a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's a very powerful situation because on that mountain you have Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And you hear their names together a lot in the New Testament. Peter, James, and John. What a picture of what Jesus came to do. Peter, whose name means rock. James, whose name means supplanter. John, whose name means grace. Peter, rock, the law, John, grace, and in the middle, you've got the supplanter, or the one who replaces. So in other words, the rock has been replaced by grace. The law has been replaced by grace. Jesus is shouting all through the New Testament, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. The rock has been replaced by the grace of God. Can somebody in the room say amen? We are under a new covenant. We are under a new covenant. I, w- I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't even come so that God could love you. He didn't. Jesus came because God loves you. Right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. It doesn't say in order for God to love the world he gave. It says for God so loved the world that he gave. So Jesus didn't come so that God could love us. Jesus didn't even really come so that God could forgive us. Somebody in the room is like, somebody in the room is offended already. That just, that hit you sideways. You don't like that. But it's true. Read your Bible multiple times in the New Testament. Mark chapter two, verse five. They drop, remember the, if, if, you, if you've ever heard the story of the four friends who took their, this guy, this paralyzed man up. They took him up on the roof and they break the ceiling open. They drop him into Jesus. Jesus looks at the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. This is pre-cross. In Luke chapter seven, there's a woman that walks into a room. Jesus is having a meal in. She drops on the floor, she starts to cry on his feet. She's brought in this bottle of perfume. She opens it up and she anoints his feet. Jesus looks at her and says, "Your sins are forgiven." So if if Jesus didn't come so that God could love us and Jesus didn't come so that God could really forgive us, then why did Jesus why did Jesus come? Jesus came not to forgive sin only, but to take away sin. This is the misunderstood, undervalued part of what Jesus has done for us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter nine, verses 24 through 28, it said, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. It's talking about the old covenant and how that the men would have, the priest would have to go in and he would have to, he would have to purify himself and, and then he would have to perform all these rituals and then the people's sins would be forgiven, but they had to do it every single year. Jesus isn't copying that, they're saying. He, the Bible says he didn't just enter into a church that somebody built, some contractor built. The Bible says Jesus entered into heaven itself. And he entered in to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. In other words, Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross every time you mess up. Jesus went to the cross not just for your past sins and your present sins, but Jesus went to the cross for your future sins. Jesus went to the cross for your kids' sins. Jesus went to the cross for your grandkids' sins. Jesus went to the cross for people's sins who haven't even been born yet. So he entered into heaven itself. The way a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own, otherwise Christ, he would have had to suffer many times, verse 26 says, since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do What did he do? He did away with sin. It's not that people don't still commit sin. Jesus just did away with the consequence before God of people's sin. And all I have to do to accept that forgiveness is say, yes, Jesus, I believe what you did for me actually happened. And I have been raised to life by the gospel. Verse 28 says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. And the second time he comes, he's not coming to bear sin. He is coming to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Anybody in the room waiting for him? When God shows up, he's not coming back to judge the believer for their sin. He's coming back to give the believer the salvation that they've been waiting their whole life for. Can somebody in the room give God some praise that when he splits the sky open and he comes after me, he's not coming after me in judgment. He's coming after me with the salvation that he promised me. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Why is this important? Because Hebrews 10 and four says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Were they forgiven for a year? Absolutely. But were their sins taken away? No. But our sins have been taken away John 1 29 John one day uh, John the Baptist he he walks by Jesus and the Bible says as he saw him he said behold the lamb look it's him he's gonna take away the sin of the world wow what about the law don't we need the law so that people can even get saved, Rob. Don't we, need to, don't we need to preach the law so that people can realize how bad they need a savior? I would say not the way you think. I'm offended a lot of religious people this morning, but I'm just going to give you more Bible for it. <laughs> Romans chapter 9 verses 30 through 32 says, what then shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Is that in your Bible? It's in my Bible. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Jesus one time is preaching. And he said, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you find life, but you ignore me. The law is not how I get God to love me, the law is how I express my love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you're really in love with me, by default, it's gonna just be in your nature to do what I ask you to do. And the Jews had taken it and made it a system of rules and regulations by which you could obtain righteousness. But it was never intended to make anybody righteous, it was to reveal how unrighteous you really were. That's where the church messes up is we use the law to help people attain righteousness. But you can't attain righteousness by keeping the law. The only way you get righteousness is if it's given to you as a gift by God through faith. Ephesians says you are saved by grace through faith, not of works. Wow. (laughs) So Jesus addresses their obsession with using the law to point out everybody else's sin and not deal with their own. Oh man, you guys are really good at using the law to throw this woman before me. But what about you? Oh man, you are really good to call out everybody else's sin, but what about your gossip? You know, that's one of the things that God hates as well. Man, we live in a Christian culture where we obsess over what everybody else is doing. We've got stones in our hands ready to throw them. Oh, yeah, you voted for. Uh... Oh, yeah, you got you got the shot. Oh, yeah, you did it. Oh, you were. ah yeah. Jesus is looking at the world right now, like, and especially the Christian church is getting caught up in the same arguments that the world's getting caught up in. And who are you with that stone in your hand? <laughs> then Jesus, I love this because Jesus seems more concerned with dealing with her accusers and her condemners than he does in dealing with her sin. But Jesus is not more concerned about the accusers and the condemners than her sin. Jesus understands that if you you make the priority dealing with the accusers and the condemners, then living a pure life will be the result of getting rid of the accusations and the condemnation. See, my power to live above sin is is resting in my power to live above the accusations and the condemnation of the enemy. (laughs) That's where it's at. So Jesus deals with the accusers and with the condemners before he tells her to go and sin no more. We flipped it. We're telling everybody to stop sinning, but we're not dealing with the accusations and the condemnation that they feel first. When you get free from accusations and condemnation, sin loses its power. See, the only person who could throw a stone that day was Jesus. And the only person who could throw a stone that day didn't. I should give you a little bit of insight into how many stones you get to throw in your life. Revelation 12 and 10 says something really powerful. It says, then I heard a voice. It was a loud voice in heaven. And and this voice said, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. The one who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Anytime you get into the accusation business, you get into the devil's business. Douglas Wilson wrote this. He said, when the defender of sinners was vindicated on earth in the resurrection, the accuser of sinners was deposed in the heavens. The resurrection of Jesus was the death of accusation in the heavenly places. There's a story in the Bible of a man named Job. And in, 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 in the book of Job, the Bible says that, <laughs> Job 1 and 11, the Bible says that Satan is making an accusation against Job. Satan says, if you'll take your hedge of protection from him and you'll open him up to my attacks, he'll curse you. He's accusing, he's He's saying that Job only only trusts you and believes in you because of his things, his possessions. But if you remove your hedge of protection and you allow me to go after Job, I'll show you what Job is actually capable of. This is a powerful story because I want to tell you something. This is not a new covenant story. This reveals how things operated in the old. This reveals a heaven that didn't have an intercessor. Watch this, because Satan is talking to God directly. After the cross, the Bible teaches, he has been hurled down the accuser. And Jesus now Forever lives. So instead of there being an accuser in, our, in God's ear constantly, now there's an intercessor in God's ear constantly. So I, can I tell you, nobody in this room is going through a Job season. Nobody in this room has to worry for one moment of your life that God would ever remove the hedge. I don't know what the hedge was for Job, but I know what the hedge is for me and you. The hedge is Jesus. And Jesus isn't getting up off his throne anytime soon. So the hedge will never be removed. So God will never allow the enemy to attack his people the way he was allowed to attack Job. What happened to Job cannot happen to you. You have to change the way you think about God. That God's just up in heaven and he's allowing all this bad stuff to make sure that you really love him. That's not the God that you serve. That's, what, that's the way he would operate under a different covenant. But you are under a new covenant. You're under a new covenant. God isn't going to remove the hedge and allow the enemy to come in and kill your family and take all of your possessions. That's not your new covenant, God. The story of Job should make you happy because God ain't gonna let what happened to Job happen to me. And if it happens to me, it's not gonna be because God removed the hedge. It's gonna be because I live in a fallen, sinful world. But it's not gonna be because God loosed the devil in my life. When I, have a, when I have a Savior who forever lives to make intercession. And every time Satan looks at God and he says, have you considered Robbie? You, you know if you took away Robbie's possessions. You know if you took away Robbie's, Robbie's family, he'd curse you and die. Jesus steps up and he says, I already passed that test for Robbie. So you don't even have to worry about what Robbie would do because you know what I would do. Yeah, I might be mad. Yeah, I might fail that test, but Jesus passed that test because God knows I can't pass that test. I'm so thankful for that. For some of us, the idea of our sins being forgiven is that from the point of our birth to the point of our confession. well, God forgives all of the stuff I did from the time I was born until... I asked Jesus to come into my life and then from then on out, it's just it's I got to I got to keep the commands. I got to do what the law says to earn my salvation, to deserve my salvation, to maintain my salvation, to keep my salvation. Oh, man. Can I tell you guys who are thinking like that, believing like that in this room, it would make God not God. For him to convict you of a sin, he is already punished in his son. So you're not gonna get to heaven and God's gonna say, you know, Jesus died for a lot. But that was bad, Robbie. God would not be just if he tried you and convicted you a sin that he's already punished in his son Jesus he honors the sacrifice of Jesus more than religious people think so when you sin and you will the bible says don't obsess over your sin turn your eyes to the cross when you sin, you turn your eyes to the cross and you look at that cross and you say, that's where my sin is. That's where my guilt is. That's where my accuser, that's where my condemnation, that's where my, sh- that's where my punishment is. It's there because there on that bloody cross is where God punished my sin and your sin in our Savior, Jesus. I'll give you one more. Story about what God has done with the accuser, Zephaniah Chapter Three, Zephaniah Chapter Three. Sorry, Zechariah. Zechariah 3. This is a vision Zechariah has. He says in verse one, he says, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Look at that. Guilty as charged. Then he answered and, stood, answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. See that picture? Satan, look, God, he's guilty. Look what he's wearing. God says, I rebuke you. I have pulled him out of the fire. And then what does God do? God changes his garment. Watch this. Watch this. God removes it. Joshua doesn't remove it. Look, at it. It, says, it says to those who stood before him, the angel said, take away the garment from him. And then he says, see, I have removed your iniquity. I will clothe you with rich robes. Do you remember, if you're here and you remember the story of the prodigal and he finds his way home, the father all of the commands the Father gives, they don't, he, none of them are to the Son. He commands the servants to bring it and put it on Him. Righteousness is not something that you can put on yourself. Holiness is not something that you can put on yourself. In the same way that you can't take off your dirty garments, you can't put on clean garments. You need God to take off the dirty and put on the clean. Is there anybody in the room today grateful for a God who does that work? for you and if he takes it off and he puts it on then I can be sure that what he put on me is good amen amen condemnation he says he says where where are your accusers and and who's there left to condemn you has anybody condemned you she said no one Lord Condemnation is so terrible because condemnation doesn't just rob you of your present. Condemnation robs you of your future because it tells you you don't deserve anything in your future because of what you've done in your past. And when you live in condemnation, shame is the air you breathe. In 2 Corinthians chapter three, verses six through seven. Listen to these these verses. The Bible says he has made us competent. Paul talking about himself and the apostles. He's he's saying that God has made them competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, watch this, because some people are like, well, you know, when Jesus fulfilled the law, you know, he got rid of all the ceremonial law. We don't have to we don't have to keep the same diet as the Jewish people do and all of that stuff. But the Ten Commandments. You better keep them or you're going to hell. Well, Paul mentions those specifically as the ones that we're misusing. Watch. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which, which was engraved, oh, no, in letters on stone. The only commands that were engraved on stone were the tin. He's not talking about the ceremonial law. He's not talking about the laws of festivals and harvest. And, he's not talking about tithing. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's saying when you preach the Ten Commandments as a way and means to life, all you get is death. That's a ministry of death. Now, if the ministry brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Transitory, though it was, will not be the ministry of the spirit, will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness for what glorious, what was glorious has no glory now. In comparison with the surpassing glory. Why would people are like, Robbie, you need to preach. You need to call out people in their sin more. Why would I keep preaching death? Robbie, you need to talk about the Ten Commandments more. Why would I I minister death? That's death. And I I know somebody in the room is offended as you could possibly be right now. But the hardest sin for you to walk away from is going to be your self-righteousness. That's the hardest sin for a Christian to walk away from is their own self-righteousness. To use this law to measure themselves as acceptable to God. That only leads in death. Think about it. Even the prophets of the Old Testament, that's, that's the, that was their ministry. Death. They were constantly, you're going to be brought into bondage. You're going to go into Babylon as captives. You're going to be judged for your disobedience. Constant. Prophets just constantly gloom and doom. And, and the false prophets in the Old Testament were the ones who tried to encourage people. But the New Testament prophets, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, for encouraging, and for comfort. That's why I would encourage you, these prophets who are like constantly trying to tell you God's going to kill everybody and God's going to strike them down and God's going to judge the earth. God has already judged our sin in his son Jesus God isn't in the business of killing people in the world. God is in the business of saving people. Jesus even said of himself, I didn't come to kill men. I came to save men. I don't want to be any, I won't have any part in the ministry of death. Should I keep the, the Ten Commandments then, Rob? Absolutely. But not because you're trying to be righteous. But because you just love God. And that's, see, when you get saved, the Bible says in the Old Testament, says when he saves you, he's going to write the law on your heart. So now my motive for trying to keep the law is not trying to keep God off my back. My motive for keeping the law is that, man, I just love him. Do, do you know what he did for you? Do you know what he did for me? Do you know how much he's given so that we could be free? That's why I love him. I'm not, I don't feel forced to love him. He didn't have to twist my arm to love him. I look at what he's done. Look at what he gave up for you. Look at what he's put on the line for you. Look at what he's opened up for you. Why would you trade your freedom for bondage? why so I, I don't live right because i'm afraid of hell i live right because i've been saved from it i've been freed from it being faithful to my wife isn't bondage living in adultery is a bondage not stealing isn't bondage living as a thief is bondage Being free from addiction, that's not bondage. Being addicted, that's bondage. And Jesus came to set you free from the law of sin and the death. Ah. That's why, that's why, as preachers, we give up so quick. Because we just it's we don't really have the words in our vocabulary. We need, I need you to read the Bible. I need you to know God for yourself. I need you to taste and see that the Lord is good because it's so hard for us because we see the sin that's in our congregation and so we don't know how to express the perfect love of God to you all the time so we revert back to, well, just be right. Would you just stop sinning? Please, for the love of God, just stop it. So we revert back because we just can't. It's hard for us to believe that the gospel is good enough to convince people to walk away from their sin. But Jesus believes that his gospel is good enough to convince people to walk away. So I don't want to be guilty of preaching death. I want to preach spirit. I want to give you life. And even if that leads to a few people misunderstanding me and misinterpreting me and running around using God's grace as a as a license to sin can i tell you if you use God's grace as a license to sin you aren't even saved cuz you don't even understand you don't know what grace really is you need to taste and see what grace is and when you taste and see the goodness of God and you see that bloody figure on a cross for you with that spear in his side and that thorn crown of thorns on his head Those nails in his hands, you can't help but just want to love him. We love you, why? Because you first loved us. I'm not in here trying to convince you to not sin, I'm in here trying to convince you to believe the gospel. He said, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are your condemners? She said, they're nowhere, Lord. He said, now go sin no more. The power to live above sin is connected to my ability to live above the accusations and the condemnation of the enemy and sometimes the accusations and the condemnation of people. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the room today. Listen, if you're here today, you say, Robbie, I... I want to accept the message of God's forgiveness and God's salvation through his son Jesus. I want to I want to change from the inside out. And maybe there are some people in this room who've Maybe you've prayed a prayer and maybe you would even say, I gave my life to Jesus, but you but you still feel so much accusation and you feel so much condemnation. And maybe you're in the room today and you say, Rob, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to put my confidence in the gospel. I want to to drop the confidence that I have in my works and I want to put my confidence in the gospel today. So if you're doing that for the first time or if you've been saved for a minute and you've gone from a faith-based salvation by grace through faith and you've been You've been thinking that your works impress God and you've been you've been you've been tithing to impress God. You've been showing up to church to please God. You've been doing stuff to make God happy with you or to or to you've been doing things so that God wouldn't do what he did to Job. Maybe. And you're in here today. and You say, Rob, I just I, I want to throw my hand up and I want to put my faith in the gospel again, in the good news of Jesus Christ If that's you today, I want to count to three. When I do, I just want every hand that wants to put their faith, hope, and trust in the good news of Jesus today. If it's for the first time or or for another time, if that's you today, I want you to throw your hand up in the air. One, two, three. Throw that hand up in the air. That's you. Awesome. 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 Incredible. Awesome. Let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me you didn't just die for me you died as me thank you that you took my place that was my cross that was my beating that was my crown that, those were my nails you took it for me i receive the gift of salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we one more hand, time put our hands together? and <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I love you so much. If you need prayer or just want to come be in the altar for a little while, our altars are always open. Thank you so much for coming to Calvary today. God bless you. We'll see you very soon.